the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 6.07 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got three lines open if you want to... um engage me we are talking about uh, are you clear have you pinpointed do you understand what you are called to be doing this year um, are you operating out of a collaborative uh, understanding of uh, mutual but not equal uh, energy being employed between you and God uh, in the area of uh, of doing God's will are you uh, are you clear on what you're supposed to do? If you're not, we can talk about that, too. I'd love to uh, help you understand and identify where there may be a block in your in your life. As I had stated earlier, there are lots of uh, lots of sole proprietors walking around professing to be believers in Christ and uh, and don't have a mission. Uh, don't don't have a very clear, uh, concrete uh, statement of a purpose uh, given to them by God from God's word to know exactly what they're up to. And we want to make sure that you are not sitting on the sidelines or engaged in. Listen carefully to this friendly fire or distractions that are the consequence of political diatribes moving you in directions that do not uh, affirm or. Uh, uh, manifest uh, your being a part of the witness of the kingdom of God. Two lines open, one 888 You don't want to waste your time. You don't want to find yourself uh, engaged in uh, empty distractions that have nothing to do with the will of God. You really do not want God to tell you on that day, I do not know you. You really do not want that to occur. You want to thank every preacher that is faithful enough to teach the word of God in total, radically pouring into your life soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, radically sowing into your life paterology, the doctrine of the true and the living God, the God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Ghost. You want to make sure that you thank God for the pastors that are sowing into your life hagiography, hagiology, that is the study of what it means to walk in fellowship and holiness with God. Sanctification is the concept. The affirmation of of justification having been established for you so that your position with God is based upon grace. But now your walk with God is one where the efficacy of Christ's atoning work is leading to you entering into communion with God so that sanctification takes place. Communion with God leads to sanctification, which is what I want to talk about now being consecrated. Old Testament sacerdotal term that can be uh, depicted by Aaron and his sons uh, being set apart by God and then dressed in the ornate, glorious, um, embroidered, uh, stone uh, gilded, uh, precious stone gilded uh, garments in order to uh, manifest, if you will, on a symbolic level, the riches of God, the glory of God, the beauties of God, the imminent, uh, wonderful uh, adornment of God's character and nature in those garbs as they served as priests. 
The New Testament uh, counterpart to those outward garbs is the inward beauty of the Spirit of God producing in you and me the fruit of the Spirit by the gifts of the Spirit being employed as we collaborate with God. Consecration means that you are dedicated. Consecration means that you are separated. Consecration means that you are being prepared. You're being qualified. You're being uh, resourced. You're being developed. You're being made sufficient to the task for which God is calling you. Literally, the term consecration applies to what happened when Christ came into the world. God consecrated him. Hebrews 729. He was sanctified, according to John's gospel, chapter three, and filled with the Holy Spirit without measure so that when he went about to do his work, it was clear that he was full of grace and truth. He was the consecrated God man so that as a man, we could see that he was set apart to his God. We could see that God was with him. We could see that he was doing God's will, that he was collaborating with God. That's what you and I have been called to. If you and I are consecrated, then what we are doing is experiencing the infilling of God pouring into us the resources of his grace that qualifies us to now serve as a representative of God. And this is the net consequence of communion and fellowship with God. Largely, what you and I are called to do is share this gospel of grace to men and women in the various different modes of our our practical uh, callings and vocations. If you're a mom, you should be clear on your mission. If you are a dad, you should be clear. If you're a school teacher, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're working in a business, if you're an educator, so many different fields that are out there of vocations, you are still called to be consecrated unto God for the purpose of impacting that particular sphere of influence that you are in. Do you hear what I'm saying? So therefore, this glorious picture of the Aaronic priesthood and how Moses was to dress them and to adorn them and to gild them with these consecrated garments so that they became a visible witness to the beauty and splendor of the true and the living God outwardly is what happens when the spirit of Christ draws you near in communion and begins to take you in a passive way. You're passive. He's active and begins to adorn you with the graces of God so that when men and women hear you and see you and observe you, they know that you have been with Jesus, the anointing having such a fresh and such a vital expression in your life, the the odor and, and, and the essence of the emanating incense of fellowship with God and prayer with God and communion with God is evident in your life. That's the benefit of consecration, being dedicated to God, separated unto God, being prepared by God, and therefore operating under those gifts and resources that God has given you. Do you know what I'm saying? So we have dealt with collaboration. We have dealt with communion. We have dealt with consecration. The next word is catechism. That is, you and I must be critically committed to being taught. And they shall all be taught of God. Everyone, therefore, that has learned of the Father and has heard of me will come to me, Jesus. Has heard of the Father and learned of me will come to me, Jesus. As God the Father has a, a covenant by which he says he will take out the stony heart, put in a heart of flesh, and write his laws on your hearts and minds so that there will be no longer a need for someone to teach you what salvation is. Salvation is more than a set of propositional terms that's kind of uh, uh, declared or set forth or taught on 
an objective propositional level. Salvation is an experience of the sinner with the true and the living God invading his life, his heart, his mind, his soul by the spirit of God through the gospel so that you know God and God knows you. And this is eternal life that they might know thee, the true and the living God. And Jesus Christ, whom he has sent so that out of your mouth will proceed a knowledge of God that's based upon collaboration, communion and consecration. You will be able to teach men and women about the gospel. You'll be able to teach them about what redemption is and and sanctification is and transformation is and 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 even what 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 mortification is. A process by which you and I understand how to engage suffering for God's glory and trouble and pain, because that's always coming too. that's what consecration is about. Have you have you experienced what it means to set aside time critically for God to work on you, to work on you? Are you are, do you give yourself over to a whole lot of other people? And a lot of other things, you never ever get about the business of of being built up by him, trimming off the fat in areas of your life. Let me go to line number one, and uh, I'll talk first with uh, Karen in San Jose. Karen, are you there? Yes. What is your question or comment or observation today, young lady? I have, I have two questions, actually. Mm-hmm. The first one is about kind of about Kaepernick. You know, he, he he's Muslim, and my question is, all these people really believe they're being consecrated by God, too, and they're being told to kill, and, you know, they have this reckless hate. So how do you deal with that kind of issue where they feel they're, you know, chosen by God to kill and maim, and it's fine? There's, what do you do with that? You understand, you understand the difference in categories. So there's this is not a, this is, this would not be what we call an equivalency of categories that if a person I don't know first of all Karen if, if Kaepernick is really a Muslim I don't know that but let's say he is a Muslim and he's one of those Muslims that's moving fairly quickly into a uh, a militant mode of of rhetoric that basically is inflammatory and uh, and and if he is then uh, he's operating out of an assumption that he knows God. Well, Muslims know this and Christians ought to, too. You and I can have two different ideas and views about God, two radically, distinctly unreconcilable views about God. And we have we have the same God. We can't come to the conclusion logically and rationally that if you have a set of ideas, a set of propositions that uh, underscore your view and, and, and belief about God. And I have another set of ideas, another set of propositions that underscore my view about God. And they really don't uh, really don't intersect at the level of 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 God's uh, nature and God's character so that we're actually advocating two different gods. Then we don't have the same God. We don't have the same God. One God is false and the other God is true or both gods are false, but the categories are not equivalent. And and in this point that you are raising, here's a very important thing to know that when it comes to a proper comprehension and understanding of the biblical concept of Christianity, 
What I've been actually advocating for years on this program is that we as Christians must never collapse into the same kind of historic uh, uh, triumphalism that has taken on uh, political power in order to advance our cause. This was the utter mistake of Catholicism in the first millennium when it began to push back on the Turks or the Muslims who began to dominate uh, the Middle East and uh, and the areas of Palestine all over way up into Asia, that uh, the Roman Empire was able to uh, integrate. This is called syncretism of politics and religion and be blessed by uh, the Pope, uh, Charlemagne, the king being blessed by the Pope as kind of God's uh, vicar on earth on a on a uh, political level was a complete corruption of the gospel. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And as I heard one guy say it uh, on the news as I was coming in, Karen, it, he, it was a notice about a one of our presidents many years ago. I think a, a Cold War president. I couldn't identify his name. Here's what he said. He says, we must love one another or die. We must love one another or die. He did not explicitly say where that axiom came from, but according to the word of God, that's what you and I are called to do. Love one another and love works no ill to its neighbor. I don't get to just take up my gun and go kill people because I don't like their politics. Uh, The gospel does not advocate that kind of trajectory. And so I would say that, you know, if you are a child of God and you understand your Bible and you're informed about who the true and the living God is, the true and the living God has revealed himself as coming to the world with a message of reconciliation, warning about destruction on the last day. And those that are his engaged in the collaborative work of sharing that gospel, Karen, we don't advocate murder. We don't advocate killing. We don't advocate uh, uh, hurting someone senselessly. That's not our job. We recognize a judicial process. We recognize a, uh, a, a military that operates out of a just war principle. And therefore, we, we allow God in his sovereignty. We, we recognize God in his sovereignty, employing the nations of the world to get his will done on a larger political level. We get that. Our job is to pray for our leadership, pray for our government, that they make the right choices and don't engage in this kind of egotistical uh, pursuit of accomplishing things purely on the grounds of uh, political power, because God warns that he will take down any nation that would uh, assume a right of destroying other human beings and the precious imago day that exists within them, bringing them into eternal calamity, particularly if they don't have a relationship with God in Christ. That's the most tragic thing that you and I could could advocate being murderers and killers of people who don't have that necessary preparation for which when they die to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Lord, don't give us as Christians the uh, don't give us over to the deception of the devil whose whole objective is to steal, kill and destroy. So I do not agree with people who are engaging in that kind of um a modus operandi, Karen. I don't agree with that. So what would be your second concern? Well, I'm kind of still on that one for a second. I, I understand, you know, I'm not advocating killing anybody, but they are. So? so? So how do you respond to somebody who's so deeply entrenched in that, that kind of, um, not morality, that kind of upbringing? That kind of evil. That kind, it is evil, I know. So how, what would you say to somebody that, that 
they totally believe that they're being consecrated to do these evil deeds, and they think they're right. Well, let's say, for instance, on a hypothetical level, you are a Christian and you ran into Colin Kaepernick. And you had an opportunity to be with him uh, in, in some space and you had to be there for an hour. If you are a collaborator with God, as I've been talking about since the beginning, if you've been walking in communion with God, if you've been consecrated by God, if you have been uh, graced enough to be a catechizer, what are you going to say to him as a Christian? I have no idea. I was hoping you would say something. Anyway, I, can, about I can. I can. I, I can say a lot. There's no doubt about that. I can say a lot. Your job is to preach the gospel of reconciliation to all human beings who are walking in rebellion against God. Your job in mind is nothing other than to declare the gospel of the person and work of Jesus Christ and to let men and women know that the true and the living God is the God who sent his son into the world that the world might live through him and that what Colin Kaepernick would be um what would be propagating and 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 uh and as it were um uh, uh advocating is not something that corresponds with the truth revealed in the word of god now he may disagree with you as many will disagree but that's what God has called you and I to do. We are to share and, and declare the word of God and let men and women know that God is reconciling sinners unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The man that rejects that message has a whole lot more to deal with than having to face uh, Donald Trump or a group of, uh, of, of, of world mongers. I call these people world mongers because if we're acting like the only thing that matters is this world, then we've completely missed the gospel. But to speak more to the uh, concern that you have on a personal level, Karen, your shield, your protection is who you are in Christ. Your shield and your protection is what you know about what he has done for you in the redemption of your your soul. Your, your shield and protection is the presence of the spirit of God to maintain his witness in your life. Um, as you engage people who are like uh, Kaepernick and others who are advocating violence and hostility, you are a lamb among wolves. You are a sheep among wolves, as we all are. And our only resource is uh, to be able to speak uh, clearly and, and humbly and, and boldly about the realities of eternity without God and that the solution is Jesus Christ. That is the only assignment we have. If we collapse into doing things like Peter did when they came to take Jesus, pull out a sword and want to cut off the high, the servant of the high priest's head, uh, we are we are showing ourselves unclear at all, unclear, totally unclear about what it means to collaborate with God in the matters of the gospel. So I would I would definitely pray that you would be ready to share the gospel with anyone that would uh, would would ask you what do you think about what's going on and, 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 and that you would recognize that that's a great privilege to do whether they believe it or not. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I get it, sis, I get it. I've been around a long time and I, I have felt the innate apprehension and, and um, the innate uh, volatility of evil. I grew up in the hood. I could, talk about what that's like in terms of just being uh, vulnerable on a lot of levels as as a predator taking 
taking advantage of victims from a child all the way up. I know what that's like. I know the inclination to want to protect yourself and avenge yourself and to, and to hurt somebody before they hurt you. I, I, I collapsed into all that in my youth. When God saved me, he had to completely radically change the way I thought about people wanting to hurt me and attack me. He had to do that because the gospel is, as I stated by that president who stated it somewhere during the Cold War time in which the world was in danger of annihilation through nuclear war. I remember those years. It's called the, the Cold War years. I remember what I remember the essence of that sort of constant uh, imminent threat hanging over our heads. World war. Nothing is more tragic than for political powers to be inclined like a couple of highly driven testosterone beasts to want to ram one another in the head at the cost, collateral cost of the calamity of eternity bound souls who in many cases, Karen, the people of these countries don't want to go to war. It's our leaders that want to exercise this kind of uh, insane, uh, masculine, testosterone-driven uh, uh, result of, of, of conflict instead of the grace of God working in their lives to give them the wisdom necessary to sit down at the table and, and de-escalate and to work through and to figure out principles of peace and reconciliation in order for us to live a prosperous life. Because nobody prospers in war. No one prospers in war war. Thank you for the call, my sister. I'm way overdue. Got to pay a bill or a bunch of them. And then I'll share. I'll take up. Let me see here. Looks like Maisha and Alameda. Got two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Karen, that was a great, great set of questions. Let's keep this moving. I've got three points left. I think we've talked about collaboration. We've talked about communion. We've talked about consecration, and we've talked now about catechism. See how important catechism is, ladies and gentlemen, based upon Karen's concern? You better know how to talk about and commend and proffer the person and work of Jesus Christ as the solution to every variance and hostility, antipathy, conflict that goes on in the world. The answer is Jesus, the peace of the living God. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time is 636. Two lines open. one 888 If you want to call in and join in on our topic, one 888 Let me go to line number three and talk with Maisha in Alameda. Maisha, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, how are you? I'm great. What's your question, comment, or observation? Um, well, my question is, um, I grew up in church. Um, and I, my thing is that I struggle with my spirituality. It's like, I don't, I can't, how you say, um, decipher or, Mm -hmm. um, I can't decipher when I'm, you know, when I'm doing the will of God, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? I want to know what's the will of God, you know, what does it really mean? Cause it's like when I think I'm doing it and then sometimes when it, when I, when I do it and then it comes back on me and it's like, it's wrong. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the God, you know, I said in the Bible to help your fellow man and to look out for your loved ones, your family and stuff. And when I feel like I do that, and then it like, um, I feel bad or something. Not how much I feel bad, but then when I guess they don't receive it as a good thing or whatever, sure. I, you know, I, I get all upset. So I was like, I always wonder, like, why, what am I doing? You know what I'm saying? I, I go to church, I pray, you know, I talk to God. It's like, you know, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. You sure. know what I mean? But I'm really fighting 
sure. to make to get right with God. You know what I'm saying? For once in my life, I want God to be proud of me. I want my mom, rest of my soul, to be proud of me. I want my family to be proud of me for once in my life. You know what I'm saying? And I I'm do. really fighting for my life. So I'm just trying to understand what is the will of God. How do you know what God wants wants you to do? Because I I, I have a hard time of hearing what God wants me to do for Him. You understand what I'm saying? I do. Um, I need you to cut your radio down. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Sorry. No sorry. Right. Okay. I do not like listening to myself. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's all good. Um, you know, you have you have the same uh, challenge, Maisha, that a lot of people do in terms of <clears throat> either uh, having had many bad experiences in church where the church was not equipped to help people become grounded in their walk with God. And therefore, be able to navigate their life in terms of the priorities of of what a believer should be um, thinking about and engaging in. And here you are now, you know, there's a part in you that wants to be able to walk in God's will, wants to be able to enjoy uh, your fellowship with God and doing right things that would have right outcomes. You you are in a a very good place right now. If you can receive what I'm I'm going to share with you in terms of. when God gives us a new year, like he's doing this, is we're, we're six days into January. We all of us ought to be thinking about, is there, is there, is there a way that I can enter into a collaboration with God, co-laboring together with God in a way that can make this year better than last year? We should always want to find ourselves sowing good seed, more good seed than bad seed. Now, we all Maisha, so bad seed and good seed. That's just the nature of our fallible and weak and uh, sometimes uh, just sinful tendencies. You got a bag on your right shoulder with good seed. You got a bag on your left shoulder with bad seed. The good seed has everything to do with who God is and what God has done for us in Christ and what the word of God says about how to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That's the fundamentals of the law of God. And it's walking in love. That's good seed. Good seed is loving your neighbor. Good seed is being patient and kind. Good seed is seeing to it that you can help people to the degree that you have the ability to help. You don't always have the ability to help, but sometimes you can help indirectly. There are ways of being able to do that when you can't directly help people. But when you and I are walking in communion with God and collaborating with God and and therefore the the priority that Maisha needs to walk in this year, your priority this year is you learning what it means to have deep communion with God at a level that requires you to set more time apart so that you can be taught of God more effectively. You need to you need to learn more about who God is and what his will is at, at at length. And one of God's primary wills for you, as it is for me, Maisha, is to know him. This is John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. As the book of Hosea puts it, in Hosea 4, 6, my people are perishing for lack of knowledge. There is a lot of general information that Christians have out there, but it does not have the poignant clarity that's needed for you to be able to know that you are learning about God in an effective enough way for his will to be occurring in your life. Like I can be more explicit. God's will for you every day 
is that there is a devotional time between you and him where his word matters to you, where you are reading God's word or hearing God's word. Reading or hearing, it doesn't matter. If you're not the kind of person that does well with reading, you should be disciplined to hearing God's word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when faith is uh, imputed into your life, imparted into your life through that word, you begin to find your head bobbing up and down in a north-south direction uh, where you actually agree with God and agree with what's being said. And now God's changing your heart and God's now revealing to you how to walk with him. The areas of doing his will are easy because uh, you and I have this this unction by which we know when we are thinking right or thinking wrong. We have an unction about when we know we are saying things right or saying things wrong. We have an unction when we know we are obligated to do things that are right and then we find ourselves doing things that are wrong. That's not hard. And God doesn't give us so much of a complicated day, Maisha, that we can't throughout the course of a 24-hour day, kind of discover the patterns that God has laid down in our life. Like you have a pattern in your life. You have obligations in your life. And if you were sitting with a counselor, a godly biblical counselor, they would help you, Maisha, lay out your obligations and your responsibilities. They would look at the patterns of your life, the scope and sphere of your activities, that is where you go and what you do, what people you engage in and what people you have the opportunity to engage in, and they would help you develop a portfolio of how to interact from the time that you get up to the time that you go to bed in terms of the normative events that occur in your life, those normative events that are actually important and are part of you know your non-negotiable activities, things that you just have to do. They would help you be able to see where the will of God fits in in how you view people, how you talk to people, how you engage people, what you receive from them and what they receive from you. And while you are engaging with people, what they can receive from you and what you can receive from them, you are collaborating with God because you are remembering what he says. And if you're communing with God, communion goes two ways, communion. He's talking to you by his spirit and through his word. And you're talking to him in prayer. And all this occurs when you are in a really good community where you can be taught well the word of God and maybe even have friends who are truly believers that also can model before you how you should be functioning on an everyday level. It sounds like to me though, that you might not even really be connected to a body that's intentional about walking with the Lord. You're probably not really fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that, is that possible? No, I'm in church and I'm at I'm I'm at a good church, but it something happened, right? And okay. I feel that my pastor is like I'm the one to blame, even though me and the other person knew better to even get in the situation. But again, you know, I ran on self will, right. but it's still like I'm the only one being blamed for it. Well, you, why you know why well, why won't why well why? I mean, we have these problems. That the life is filled with that. How come you guys aren't sitting down with leadership and trying to work through a process of um, of, of of confession, repentance, and reconciliation so you can keep it moving. The whole thing about grace is that we keep life moving. We don't get stuck in, in, in things that w- went wrong or broke. We we learn how to acknowledge them. We learn how to address them, confess them, and then keep it moving. How come you're not keeping it? You guys aren't keeping it moving. Well, the thing is, my pastor um, basically told 
the other person to stay away from me. I'm like, that's not how you, how you, I mean, I'm not saying I know everything, but that's how I feel like we shouldn't have to, we shouldn't have been in a church like that. Right. And you telling the person to stay away from me. Right. That's not living godly. So, and I'm, I have to interact with this person because I'm not going to interact with them, but I'm there. We're, you know, we go to church, we go to the same church. Right. So how can I not, how can I stay away from that person? Right. Because we're always around each other at the church. You know what I'm saying? I do. So they told, they told me to, or tell him or, you know what I'm saying, to stay away from me. Like, how is that going to help anything? You know what I'm saying? And at the same time, they're like, oh, you knew the situation. Oh, you, you, you had no business doing it. Okay, but then, okay, the other person did as well. They knew the situation as well. So why am I feel like I'm getting blamed for it and not the other person? You know what I'm saying? I'll take responsibility for my part. Yeah, at the same time. But at the same time, you know what I mean? I was vulnerable at the time. I just lost my partner. You know what I'm saying? So sure. They sure. knew they knew the situation too, but like I said, I feel like I'm getting blamed for it. You know right. what I mean? I got like it. Me from the type of way, and I feel like I'm being played at the same time. They know I'm a generous person. I have a big heart. You know, whatever the church needs, and if I'm able to do it, I you know I do it with no with no hesitation. And then at the same time, it's like you know, on the other hand too, it's like I don't want to just up and leave that church because uh-uh. of what's going on. No, you like, don't. I don't want to leave, guys. Like no, I've done no. this so many times. That's right. And I refuse to allow anyone. Yeah. Separate me from the love of God. I don't care if it's a priest, a pastor, a deacon, a, a mm. reverend, a, a first lady, a, 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 a deacon, whoever. I don't care who it is. It. I, I'm fighting for my life every second of the day, and I refuse to give up. I refuse to give up on God. I refuse to let, allow anyone or any situation to separate me from the love of God. Mm-hmm. I refuse to do it because I've done it so many times before. Got it. I want to stay with God. I want to know God. I'm yeah. so in love with yeah. Him. I want to know more and more about him mm-hmm. you understand what i'm saying I it's do. like my heart is so heavy yeah. it's like i pray to my family i pray for my family every single day like god please help them have a people have a mind to, for you for them to be for you to be on their mind to be on their heart to be on their soul to be on their spirit i want to be so filled up with god to where they can see me they can feel they can understand they they go they want it you know what i mean i have a thirst for god i have a urge for god i have a I want I want the anointing of God. I want God yeah, to begin me. I have an anger problem. I yep. pray to God, yep. you know, God, tell me yep. with my anger problem. It's yep. not alcohol or drugs. I have an anger problem. Got I have it. a problem with getting caught up with the wrong type of yeah. men. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like I just want to be happy. I want my family to be happy. Like I said, I don't want to be rich. I want to be able to help. I want to be prosperous to help people. I want to open up shelters. I want to open up homes for people with developmental disabilities. I, I want to help. I want to help God's people. Maisha. But I'm so, I'm so sad right now. Maisha, I got you. So here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Because <clears throat> you got thousands of people listening. You guys all heard Maisha's heart. You guys heard. So right now, all of you who are my prayer partners out there, we got thousands. Maisha is on the list. We're praying for her. We're praying for her for the whole month of January that God would intervene and begin to answer some of her concerns and her heart needs. <clears throat> so this is not about anything other than you needing the body of Christ to collaborate in your behalf in the matter of prayer. You guys are priests. You have your assignment. Our dear sister Maisha needs you. I got to take a break. And uh, when I come back, I'll try to finish up with Sherman. Maisha, we got you, girl. We got you. Yes, thank we got you. you. God bless you. Bless you too. I'll be right back.
And now back to Lifeline. The time is 6.53 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We've got a few minutes to go. Do want to let you know if you have been part of our prayer service on Tuesday nights. We will resume tomorrow night at 7.30 sharp. Friday Bible study will begin at 8 o'clock. Our Saturday men's meeting, open to all people, will begin at 7.30 on this coming Saturday. We took a break for a while, started back this last Saturday. But yeah, Tuesday night prayer, Friday night Bible study is on. All you guys who come out to the Bible study, we will see you Friday as we deal with Romans chapter 3. Let me go to line number one and talk with Sherman in uh, Oakland. Sherman, what's your question or observation? We've only got a couple minutes, though. Okay, Happy New Year to you. You too, man. Uh, observation. You mentioned in your youth that you went through several changes. In my youth, I went through several changes also. Yeah. Thinking that this world, the way it is set up, is not hasn't been designed for certain individuals to succeed. Right. And those who believe in God, if you would please help them understand in, in a few minutes that we have, why it's necessary to suffer. Right, just like just like Ishmael and his mother, yeah, and and many and many and many others, <clears throat> and, and many, but especially him because that's the son of Abraham, right? Right. Okay, go ahead. Right. I mean, you know, if we want to extrapolate upon the typological patterns of of Ishmael and Isaac, they both um, are coming from a man who is a man of faith. uh, And yet life is, 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 is necessarily riddled with the fundamental problem of sin. Um, we don't have to we don't have to stop at the uh, ethnic historical um, uh, 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 what we call agenda. There's a trajectory of agenda for, for Ishmael and Isaac, but it's true for the whole human race. It was true for Abel and Cain. It's, it was true for Jacob and Esau. And it's true for you and I. We have to learn how to handle suffering. And for the believer to handle suffering is to have a a cross theology that allows us to recognize that suffering leads us to God. And by virtue of it leading us to God, we find solutions in the person and work of Jesus Christ that allows us to be able to overcome the evil that suffering has a tendency to want to produce in us. As you had stated earlier, Sherman, we if you grew up in the hood like I did, I mean, the whole goal of uh, of the hood is is dog eat dog. It's a it's a it's a tribal system that if you don't if you don't know how to survive, you're gonna be just kind of chewed up and spit out. You're gonna have a a, a predator a victim relationship where the predators are gonna take advantage of you. And the thing that delivered me from a a life of drugs and 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 crime and and I mean at an early age back in the days with Felix Mitchell and and many of them, I could go on and on and on. What delivered me was that God interrupted my life by his grace at 18 years old while I was doing some time for drugs. And uh, that, that, that revelation brought me to my knees and made it clear to me that if I did not submit to the crown rights of Jesus Christ and uh, and, and, and follow him, that I was going to get right out of, uh, of my incarceration and go right back to the thing that killed most of my, my compadres or got them hooked on drugs. I was clearly told by a gentleman who loved me enough to let me know, Jesse, what you are doing is going to end up in three tragic ways. You're going to either end up a dope fiend like all the other people that you're engaging with and to whom you are selling drugs. You are going to either end up incarcerated in prison, which has its own consequences, as you know, or you're going to end up dead. That 
prophetic insight was true of virtually everybody that I hung out with back in the uh, middle 70s, early and middle 70s. And if it wasn't for the grace of God intercepting my life, I wouldn't be here today talking about a better way uh, through the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that message is the message that needed for the world. Just like the lady who just called in, she's crying. Right. She's asking, why does it take pain? Why does it take suffering? Why Why do we have to go through this in order to do God's will? Right. It's it's because we have to be humbled because of sin. She got that too, though, see? And so the body of Christ has to come along and help uh, bring about effective measures of reconciliation. Effective measures of reconciliation. Suffering's not going anywhere. But we have to bring about effective measures of reconciliation um, for her and for everybody else. And that's why the people that I know that listen to this program, Sherman, lots of people are already praying for her. And we will be praying for her as well tomorrow night in our prayer service. You and I are called to be priests and we are called to be prophets. We are to declare the word of God, the will of God, the righteousness of God, redemption in Christ, reconciliation. And we are to do go about the ministry of healing the ministry of procuring, the ministry of bringing men and women through prayer to the throne of grace so God can do for them what we could never do for them, and that is to enter into their life and bring them through the suffering so that it makes sense. He allows us to suffer because of our sin, to lead us to the Savior, who then gives us the healing balm of his grace and mercy and allows us to triumph over our sins in him who himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. It is a cross-centered theology that helps us handle the problem of sin. Thank you guys for listening. I hope this word blesses you. Next week, I will talk about the three last categories. We will pick up on this. I hope you are collaborating with God this year in Jesus' name. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.